Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Tamara Beckford Show. Alrighty, today I am very excited to talk about all of us who are in the medical fields who are thinking of building solo non-clinical careers. If you're thinking about this, this mm. is the show for you. We're talking about medical malpractice. Yes, medical malpractice. When we think about all that goes on, that's always one of the biggest fears that us in the clinical world have, right? Like I'm doing my best, what if I get caught? Oh, and then we also have those who are in the legal field, they're out there and they need the best of the best represented. And we're gonna talk about that today on this wonderful show. Now, before we go any further, I know some of you are like, oh, there we go, Dr. Beckford, she always does that. She's going on and she knows that I have to do X, Y, Z. And I say, have no fear, this wonderful episode will be available on our Your Caring Docs website, U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G-D-O-C-S.com. Click podcast, you'll see my guest, handsome face, Download that episode and you'll get all the juice. If you want to be on the show, send me an email at drbeckford at yourcarendocs.com and we'll try to get you in. All right. So without further ado, let me introduce our wonderful guest for today. So our guest is a graduate of the University of Missouri School of Medicine. He did his residency in emergency medicine at Carolina Medical Center. He's had over 20 years of experience in clinical medicine from like high acuity trauma centers to rural access hospitals. With all of his knowledge and expertise, he decided to zone it all in into providing consultant services for malpractice attorneys, offering strategic collaboration and expert matching with witnesses, right? He is the owner and lead consultant <laughs> of on-call medical legal, med legal consultant. I'm talking about the esteemed, the one, mm. the only Dr. Jeff Willis. <laughs> hello, 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 Dr. Willis. How are you? I'm spectacular. How about yourself? as you can hear by my cheaper voice. <laughs> I'll try and match your energy. I don't know that I can, but I'll do my best. I've got my ice. I've got my iced tea here, so we'll see. You if got. You got just. Oh, you have your iced tea, or you have your sweet tea. Let's be honest. It no, it's tea? it's un, it is unsweet tea. Now that, said, now, that, now that said, that said, I you know I I did my training in, in North exactly. Carolina, so I have a little bit of South in me. So every now and again, I, I will splash a little of the sweet tea in with the regular. There we but, go. But, yeah. <laughs> Love it, love it, love it. Alrighty, so before we get deep into what you're doing right now, let's take it back a few years to when you decided to do medicine. So tell us the story that drew your interest in becoming a doctor. That's kind of you to say a few years. It was it was a lot. It was a lot of years, but <laughs> you know, you know, I, I wish I had more. So, you know, so many people have these compelling stories, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. I, I was sick as a child or I had a family member who was sick or this person inspired me. My story of getting into medicine, was, it was pretty generic, honestly. <laughs> I was, you know, I was I was good in school, right? Made great grades. Mm -hmm. Science mm -hmm. was my favorite subject um, and literally just had a teacher in high school say, you should probably be a doctor. Um, and this was back in the 90s, right? I, I'm mm -hmm. a Gen X kid. So I, I graduated high school back in, in 95. And back in the 90s, if if you got good grades, you were pretty smart, um, and you like science, you usually you became a doctor or, or something along those lines. And so, uh, right? I mean, that, that, you know, the options weren't, you know, there weren't a lot of other options, or at least you weren't told about them. Um, and so that, that's what I did. I said, all right, I'll be a doctor. And so I went to college and you know, you know how it is, I mean, you check the boxes, right? You, you get the grades, you get the test scores, you, you know, you, yes. you do your volunteer work, you, uh, you know, you, you work in a lab or you do whatever you need to do. You, you check all the boxes and then you start applying and, and that's it. You know, we, every single one of us did it. Every yes. single one of us checked the boxes, yes. right? <laughs> yes. um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I, you know, I checked all the boxes and uh, uh, no regrets. I mean, I'm glad I did. I couldn't imagine doing mm -hmm. anything else. So I love it. And I love how you're talking about the boxes and the flow because I think about during the years when we were applying, I'm, I'm the same generation, the same boxes were checked. Now I'm thinking about the boxes of these 
um, newer incoming, um, you know, students, their boxes are like, whoa, we're like, wait a minute. So you started up a whole thing and, you know, their boxes are so much mm -hmm. longer than ours, but um, the process is the same in that the sentiment of wanting to help, wanting to care, wanting to have an impact on the world, which, you know, is one of the other boxes why we took so much time to right. get to the point, yeah, <laughs> to train and to do this. So before we got to be this big doctor, you know, we're now in med school, but you decided of all the specialties that you wanted to do emergency medicine. So tell us a little bit about that. How did you fall onto that specialty? <laughs> yeah, so it, it's it's that, that actually is a somewhat interesting story because I'm probably one of the few emergency physicians who um, initially, believe it or not, I wanted to be a geriatrician. So Me I, too. I, really? Okay, yes. maybe I'm not unique. Yeah. So no, I, I, it was between. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So I, I went in, I went into medical school thinking, you know, I, I, I want to be a geriatrician. I, I, you know, I, I like the elderly. I, I want to help them. Um, and so, you know, the best way to do that really was to go into family practice um, or internal medicine somewhere. And so between my first and second years of medical school, I did a program. Um, it was called AHEC, the Area Health Education Council. Basically, you get to, you get to shadow a physician uh, mm -hmm. for an entire summer. Mm -hmm. So I shadowed this position in Max Creek, Missouri, which probably has a population of two or three hundred, like tiny little old, you know, like super small town doc um, mm -hmm. named Jim Jungles. They call oh! him Jungle. They call him Jungle Jim. <laughs> um, and, and he was the classic, uh, the classic small town, uh, small town doc. Mm -hmm. I showed up in his office every morning. Um he he lit up a Salem cigarette in his office, and by the time he got done smoking the Salem cigarette, the nurses would have all the rooms full for his patients. Mm -hmm. We'd go see all the patients, come back. He'd light up another cigarette while they cleared that batch out, and we did the next and we did that all summer long. And I learned a ton. The, the guy was the guy was brilliant, right? Of Just, course. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Small town doctor, brilliant guy, but. Uh, he was one of those guys that couldn't sit still. So on the weekends, uh, mm -hmm. he would moonlight in the emergency department at um, at Lake oh, Regional yeah. Hospital in Missouri. So a, a bigger, it was a bigger ER. Mm -hmm. It was a uh, a um, like a vacation, like summertime, like like a like oh, a okay. Lake Town kind of thing, right? So it got busy in the summer. So they needed they needed help back then. This was a long time ago. Anyway, so I shadowed him uh, there too. So I'm like, what the heck? I got nothing to do. I'm down here in the middle of nowhere. And so mm -hmm. I shadowed him in the ER and just fell in love. I'm like, wait a minute. This this is what I need to do because yeah. this is interesting. This is exciting. This is, you know, fast paced. This is, I get to see absolutely everything. everything. Um, and so, I mean, it was it was a month later. I'm like, nope, this this is what I'm doing. Um, and so I went into emergency medicine and, and back then at the university of Missouri, there was no, uh, emergency medicine program at all. Mm -hmm. So it was not a specialty that was promoted in the medical school very much. It was a very much primary care, uh, focused uh, mm -hmm. medical school. And so, uh, it was difficult to find mentors or, you know, find any way to get into emergency medicine. You had to almost do all your rotations away. So, mm -hmm. um, but, but that was it. Yeah. Jun jungle gym. Jungle Jim, uh, uh, moonlighting, the moonlighting in the ER. Wow, um, is how is how I found emergency medicine, and, and never looked back. Went and did uh, uh, you know clerkships at Carolinas and at the Hennepin, and just realized, yep, this is it. And this is it. Yep, never looked back. How's Jungle Jim? Is Jungle Jim still here? With I us? think I don't think so. I think Jung, I think I think he finally passed away. But he worked. I mean, he worked all the way up, you know, through his years. He he was mm -hmm. a great guy drove an old Corvette had a you know had a boat he would take me out on he was also like the county medical examiner, examiner. so like when something happened we would have to drop it and go out to it. I mean the guy was guy was great guy was oh great, wow so, yeah this but, is such but, a wealth of knowledge and like you know in such a short span when you're there shadowing him if you really oh my gosh yeah it was like two and, a, two and a half months I learned so much and more oh. than anything just how to care for people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just his patients loved him. I mean, just absolutely loved him. Yeah. But little did I know going into emergency medicine, turns out I am a geriatrician, right? I mean, yes. 
So That's I, why. <laughs> yeah, you don't realize it. Like when you get out of residency and you start working out in, you know, in mm -hmm. in the real world, so to speak. Oh, hey, that is like 90% of what we do anyway. So I still got to do my geriatrics and then do the, you know, do the more exciting stuff on the side. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's one of the things that I love. While I was in med school, rest assured, I went into med school thinking like, I'm going to do emergency medicine because I got exposed um, during undergrad. But while I was doing a rotation, the geriatric population kept pulling me. I was like, they're so wise. They know so much. You know, they can impart so much knowledge. So I almost got pulled, but I said, okay, I'm sticking with emergency medicine. <laughs> and like you said, I still end up doing geriatrics. Absolutely. So do every single those day. Lovely patients. Yes, <laughs> the feisty ones. Oh, they, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, love it, love it. Alrighty, so now you're there, you know, emergency medicine. You graduated from residency, did all your training, and then you're out now working, as we mentioned, still doing geriatrics in some respects. So getting that feel for, you know, part of what we do love. Now, you've had over 20 years experience in that. Tell us through, you know, some of the experiences that you've had and what led you from there to forming this wonderful um, company, um, the on-call med legal consultant. Yeah, sure. So we, uh, so I, I came back after residency, I came back to Missouri, lived in St. Louis for a couple of years and worked at a, a level two trauma center, mm -hmm. um, which is an, which is a, an odd burden of itself because the community and, and, and ambulances, they, they, they pretty much treat you like a level one level trauma one. center. You, you just don't quite have the backup, right? So, yes. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I learned a lot there uh, just by being thrown in and, and, you know, suddenly working, you know, basically solo mm -hmm. um, without nearly as much backup as you would think. But then I also learned a lot about the business of medicine because I got into this, you know, I got into this job where um, the, uh, relationship with administration and the ED group was kind of a mess. And um, basically, in my first two years, the entire group sort of dissolved and everybody mm. just went off out into the community and got different jobs. Wow. And and I I wasn't from the area and I was too young and dumb to understand what was happening when it was happening. And next thing you know, I'm sitting there looking around like it's like me and like three other guys, you know, like left here. Like, yeah, and like, you know, what am I going to do? All the other jobs, you know, are dried up. Mm -hmm. So I only lasted my first job for a couple of years, which is pretty typical. Uh, yeah. You know, most ED folks don't stay in their first job for more than a couple of years. That, that's that's pretty standard. So mm -hmm. um, came down to Springfield, went to a level one trauma center with a, a big group and, and was there for 10 years and was very happy. Mm -hmm. um, and for the last five of that, I was actually the medical director uh, mm -hmm. for level one trauma center, which was probably... Not probably. It was it was the hardest job I ever had. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So navigating the um, navigating, you know, being an advocate for your physicians and an advocate for the patients, but also the health system and mm -hmm. and navigating all those political waters and seeing how the sausage is made and, and all that. So I, I did that for about five years, um, got my MHA during that time um, mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and then and then finally decided that my energy was going to be better spent elsewhere um, because sort of battling the big system kind of spinning your wheels sometimes. So so I thought, yeah. you know, I thought my energy could be spent elsewhere. So um, I, I left and went to go work at a rural critical access hospital. Mm. So I went from level one trauma center, 90,000 visits a year to a six bed ER working 24 hour shifts. Mm -hmm. um, literally in the middle of nowhere uh, yes. and did that and then started an ER staffing company just shortly before COVID with a couple mm -hmm. of my partners, which was great. Um, and we staffed some uh, ERs around the area and then COVID hit. And so our, the expansion of our, of our group um, just it came to a, a screeching halt um, mm -hmm. because hospitals weren't changing ED groups and everybody was in uh just protection mode, mode right you know yeah 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 absolutely um and in in retrospect i think that was good because i i, I didn't love that work um mm -hmm. and the corporatization of medicine i was i was becoming a part of it i think um mm -hmm. and decided i didn't really like that so we, we wound that up um and then here i am right that, that was my plan right to build this big big er group um and and that was going to be it and now here i am sitting you know i was now sitting in a six bed rural critical access hospital 
what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, uh, just started exploring everything that was out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I don't know who, who's watching this, if there's, you know, ED physicians out there watching, thinking, you oh, know, yeah. what else is out there? Or I know, you know, you do so much burnout work. If you have a big, you know, burnout crowd, um, I, I don't like that term burnout. I don't think that's where I was, but um, I, I, I realized that there was more I could do. Um, mm -hmm. And that my time, my time in clinical work was done. Um, and so rather than just make a rash decision, I gave myself a year to, to figure out how I can still serve. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but also um, do something different that I'm going to want to do for another 20 years. Cause I knew yeah. emergency med, I was done with emergency medicine. My time there was done. 20 years was enough. Um, but I still wanted to serve and I still wanted to do something that was going to make me excited and interested for, um, another, another 20 years of work. Absolutely. Um, yep. So I basically made it my job to figure out what to do next. So got a life coach, um, mm -hmm. which I highly recommend anybody, uh, listening, watching, doing, uh, or, you know, participating today. Like, um, I was a naysayer admittedly, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I spent, you know, months trying to figure things out on my own because that's what we do, right? We're ER doctors figure it out. <laughs> and, uh, We're like I, MacGyver. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and and I remember just sitting there one day, you know, spinning my wheels like everybody else, looking at the, you know, LinkedIn one ads and you know, listening to podcasts. You know, what am I? You know, um, I realized, you know what? There's people out there that can help. Um, and mm -hmm. so I hired a life hired a life coach. Um, it's not even he doesn't he hates to be called a life coach. That's, that's not really what he is. Uh, not not related to medicine at all. Um, mm -hmm. Join sort of a cohort mastermind, whatever you whatever you want to call it, of, of random random people all across the country, mm -hmm. um, none of whom were in medicine except me, mm -hmm. um, and just started exploring everything in the world that was out there. Um, and I discovered uh, opportunities in the medical legal world. Uh, took a a course um, that. Didn't really, it didn't teach what I do exactly, but it sort of taught you how to think about how medicine and and mm -hmm. uh, and the law interact, uh, and basically just toyed around with different ideas and realized that uh, there was a, a niche here that needed to be filled that nobody was filling, mm -hmm. and so I've spent the last uh, year uh, growing it. And um, as of October um, of last year, I've, I'm doing it full time now. So I'm, uh, I've stepped completely away from clinical work, and now I'm doing this, uh, doing it full time. So wow, wow! If you really think about like the whole transition, you know, you go from working clinically, and I I love the fact that you've really um, given us an idea of how our um, career paths you know, it changes from different phases to the other. Because when you really just come out of residency, you're very, very excited. It's your first job. But the landscape that you enter into might not even be the best for you, but you will never know. Correct. Because you're naive to this whole process. Yep. And uh, when you're there, you're just doing your best. You're getting experiences in, under your belts until you recognize and, and you can say, okay, well, this obviously is not for me. Then you move from that to an area where you are in, when you mentioned a level one trauma center. So for those who are listening, watching, not in medicine, what Dr. Willis did was he went from a facility that Yes, he's seen traumas, but then there's facility where all the big traumas come to, where anything, like if you're a level one trauma center, a lot of times helicopters are dropping off patients from other places to your facility, like, you know, the worst of the worst, because you have all the specialties that are there. So you're getting everything. So not only did Dr. Willis work there, but he was also the medical director. So, so he's in charge of connecting the A's to the B. So the ER's connection to the rest of the hospital all went through Dr. Willis, you know? So that's a big task at hand. Um, you learn a lot. So not only are you doing things clinically, but you're also dealing with a lot of administrative things. Um, and as you mentioned, how our specialty and how our department helps in the wheel 
of healthcare, that's basically what you're navigating. What's best for your team, also what's best for the patients and what's best for the hospital at the same time. Sometimes it's hard to get all three to line up. And you know, it's just a few sometimes, yeah, sometimes. sometimes it's hard to get all three to line up, but you are the one that you know bears a lot of the brunt of this. So after five years of doing that, um, you know, you stepped out and then you went to a rural hospital. So when people hear rural access care hospital, you might be thinking, like, oh, well, well, now not only all the specialties that you had the backup for. You no longer have the backup. You are the backup. You are the backup. <laughs> you are the backup. So no, I'm not going to be able to call urology to put in the super pubic catheter. I got to figure this out. So yep. you are the backup. So that's, you know, another level of really high intensity. And uh, from there, you decide that you're building a staffing company. And then the climate changed. You know, the pandemic came around. And with that... Uh, there, the need that you that was there before the pandemic wasn't as prevalent then, and you dissolved the company and you know found yourself. Now that year that you took to really sit and find what you want, how would you describe that year to someone? When you know, like what were some of the emotions that went through in that year off? not a lot of people have the ability to take a year off some people are just like uh but you know for those who do have it what would you say that you know your emotions were through that time to build up the dr willis who's now lead consultant mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> this well wonderful i mean maybe for some for some clarity i mean i, I was still working full-time during that year so i mean i didn't mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't take it off it was just ah. It, but it was, it was my a mental time it, off, I guess. It was my, it was my, it was my mission. Like mm -hmm. my, my hobby was figuring out what I'm going to do with my life. My, mm -hmm. you know, my, it, it, everything revolved around getting healthy, both mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. Um, and talking to anyone that would listen, um, learning mm -hmm. from anyone that I could being open and honest with, uh, my, my family about where, you know, about where I was, you know, because mm -hmm. you have, um, you have this sort of, uh, unwritten or, or, or mental contract that you have with, with your, your spouse or your family, right. Of yeah. I make the money, I'm the provider and this is my role. This is my role. Right. And if you reach mm -hmm. a certain point in your career where that's not the side of the, of this unwritten contract that you want to have, you, you need, you need, you need permission is a terrible word. My wife hates it when I use it, but, but, but an agreement, need, right. You need, you need to, you need to have a conversation about that contract yeah. because what you'll find. And for however many, uh, burned out folks are, are listening right now, um, what you think that they think, uh, somebody trying to call me, I'm sorry. Um, what mm -hmm. you think they think probably not true. So yeah, uh. they, they want you to be fulfilled. They want you to be the present, mm -hmm. you know, happy, engaged family member that the fact that you make the living for the family is not what they care about. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so there are a lot of mental transitions that go on with that. And then uh, more than anything, learning that the, um, the golden handcuffs that we always talk about, right. You know, I can't leave medicine because I have this bill and that bill and I can't, that's such a false, uh, it's such a false ideology, right? Mm -hmm. Um, because if you, if you take the time and you make a plan, you, you can find your way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can find your way. So, I mean, I, I took a hundred percent pay cut to stop working clinically and to figure this out. Mm -hmm. um, you can't do it without planning, right? I yeah. mean, you got a plan, right? Yeah. You got a plan. You, you got to get everything set up, um, to do it, but, but it can be done. So, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I know in a lot of the teaching and work that you do, you like to help folks understand how they can be happier and more fulfilled while doing what, you know, while, while still doing the job that they do. Absolutely. Um, right. You're right. And that's, that's huge. I didn't have that. Um, but I made the decision. I'm just going to do something else entirely. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's an option, right? That's yes. an option. If, if you realize that your time somewhere is done, accept it and then make it your job to figure out how you can still serve and mm -hmm. how you can live another 20 years happy and healthy. Um, mm -hmm. but, but, uh, it's a journey. It's a process for sure. But, um, 
I've, I've never been happier in my life than I am today. Without. Love it. Yeah. And you, as you mentioned, you know, what's the important portion is that you have to really plan this next phase in your life, you know, sit and plan it, sit and think about what's going on and come up with a plan and then work your plan little by little. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that joy there. It's not to, to say that you're just taking like making rash decisions unless like you're forced to, but being able to plan it out helps to ease some of the discomfort and then help you to find that joy. Because when you're planning, you're not just planning based, you're planning based on a lot of criteria that are important to you personally, where right. when you yes. think about it, right? <laughs> when you yeah. think about it earlier, a lot of us, when we we're making the decisions to go into the careers we went into. We didn't have this wherewithal to, because we were like 17. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Medicine, medicine is like, medicine is that, like that one career where you're 18 years old and you have to decide what you're going to do for the next like 50 years of your life. Yeah. Because once you get down the path. You look around. It's and it's hard to go back because you've got so much money and time invested, and you're you're trained to do nothing else, or at least that's yes. what they tell us. Exactly, uh, but it's not exactly. necessarily true, right? No, no. So we have options. So now I love it. So you've gotten to the point now. You've recognized I have options, and not only that, I have skills that mm -hmm. are skill sets that are needed. Skill sets that are for those who are out there. You know, it helps, and I can still contribute to society and to those in the medical field. So once that realization came aboard, then you know you formed this wonderful um, company. So tell us what is it that your um, company does and how you've been able to serve um, those so far? Right, so I work um, collaboratively with medical malpractice physicians, uh, both plaintiff and defense, mm -hmm. um, basically helping them understand the medical aspects of their cases. So mm -hmm. um, for those that aren't aware, there, there's a there's a big industry of what are called legal nurse consultants. Um, yeah. And they're, they're nurses that work either in attorney's offices or um, on, a, on a contract basis where they'll get a medical malpractice case, whether it be on the plaintiff or defense side, um, and they'll go through and they'll develop a chronology of, of what happened during the case help them um, understand maybe what experts might be needed. And, and sometimes we'll even try and um, give opinions on, on like physician standard of care, um, mm -hmm. but as a nurse, and there's a massive industry around that. Um, on the physician side, there's a big industry around expert witness work. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, expert witnesses get paid a lot of money uh, to provide opinions on medical malpractice cases, both for the plaintiff and the defense, as they should. It's a lot of work. I mean, it's hours and hours and hours of work um, mm -hmm. for these cases, um, but on, on both sides. That said, there's, there's really no business or niche in between those those two extremes. So mm -hmm. an expert witness that is a testifying expert that has to go to depositions in court and has to be a practicing clinician. So to be an expert witness, you still have to be practicing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you have on the other end, nurses that are um, providing opinions on physician standard of care, which some of them are experienced enough to do that and, and, and some of them aren't. And then in the middle, you have attorneys trying to figure out, do I spend $5,000 on an expert to tell me whether I have a malpractice case I should pursue or not? Mm -hmm. Or do I trust the opinion of a non-physician to tell me whether a physician breached the, the standard of care? So mm -hmm. um, on, the, on the plaintiff side, um, what I do is I work with the medical malpractice physicians and they have cases that will come in and um, it'll pass their initial sniff test and they'll say, this mm -hmm. sounds like it might be something, but, but I don't, but I just don't know. And mm -hmm. they'll send me the records and I look through everything. I'll look mm -hmm. through thousands of pages of records and then simply have a phone call with the attorney um, and say, you know, Hey, here's what happened. Um, yes. This physician clearly breached the standard of care and yeah, you have a case or, you know, this, this is just bad luck. This is something that happened. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you need, you know, let your client know that, that you can't pursue the case. Right. Um, and, and that's that's primarily what I do 90 percent of the time with 90 percent of my time. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I know you have a lot of physicians um, that, that watch your show and, and you're a physician. So mm-hmm. um, it, I'll catch grief for what I do sometimes. Right. Because I work yeah. with, you know, I work with plaintiff attorneys and, and so when I got into this work, I didn't quite understand how few medical malpractice cases actually move forward. Mm. So, yeah. So for every, let's say a hundred cases come into a, a, an attorney's office, whether it be by phone call, chat, referral, whatever it is, mm-hmm. about 90 of those hundred, just based on the call that comes in, they filter out and can tell you, no, there's no case there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So now you have 10 left out of that hundred they'll look into them a little bit more carefully. And out of those 10, they usually take one. Mm. So of, of the hundred calls that come into an attorney's office, they really only, they really only take one. Right. Um, and so part of my mission and what I do is I, I want to get as many physicians involved in that process up front as possible mm-hmm. to help them identify those very few cases out there that are truly malpractice. Cause there, there's not that many, right. They right. exist. Right. Um, but, but, I feel it's important for physicians to be involved, uh, be involved in that process, and 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 help them understand what's what's legitimate and, and what's not. What's um, mm-hmm. And so, and there's just really nobody out there, nobody else out there doing this. There's mm-hmm. um, there are people that that, that dabble in it, um, and then there there are a few that do it uh, full time. But I'm the only person I know of that's still a licensed, boarded physician that's doing this work full time. Mm. Um, and I, I think, I think more should, um, right. uh, I, I, I just think it's, I think it's, uh, helpful to the attorneys and really helpful to the, to the patients. Uh, mm-hmm. so then on the defense side, um, I do, I do similar work. Um, but the defense doesn't have a choice in what cases <laughs> come at them, right? You yeah. know, if you, have a defense, if you have a defense attorney, they're the ones getting sued. They don't get to choose which ones they defend. Right. Um, right. So I work with my defense attorneys to help them understand the true strengths and weaknesses, um, mm-hmm. because every physician, we're all we're all going to say, you know, I did nothing wrong. I was within the standard. Right. Right. Um, so I, I help them understand if that's the case, how they can defend, how they can best defend it mm-hmm. or, you know, hey, if there's things you really need to worry about. And, yeah, there were things that were missed. You know, here's, mm-hmm. here's your weak spots. Uh, how do you. Uh, how do you navigate, how do you navigate around those? Because I mean, I'm an equal physician and, and patient advocate both. Right. Uh, so, so I, I like to work with, with both attorneys uh, equally. Um, but that's pretty much what I do. And then if it's case that moves forward, then I help them identify expert witnesses that can review the case and, and um, testify on behalf of the plaintiff or, or defense. So if you have a physician that's out there who is thinking about what you're doing, um, are you taking on those physicians to come and to, to like train, to be part, to think like, Hey, this is how one would think about these, um, cases and, you know, like, yes, you can work and be part of, um, my team to help these, um, legal services, to help the lawyers to understand and to filter out right. the yes versus the no, the true, um, the true malpractices versus the, yeah, this is just bad luck, bad day. You know, it would have happened no matter who saw this person, you know? So, yes. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the answer is yes, but not yet. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, as, as my mission, uh, I mean, my, my mission statement for the company is to, to transform the role of physicians, uh, in the medical, uh, malpractice litigation process that that's, that, that, that's my mission. Um, I'm only about a year into it. So mm-hmm. the, but my growth trajectory is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in 10 different States now across the country. So it's, I seem to be adding about another state every month, um, of clients. So it's starting to grow pretty quickly as the concept, uh, as the concept spreads. Mm-hmm. Um, so my goal at some point is to do one of two things and, and it's still, uh, it's still in process trying to figure out how I'm going to be most uh, effective. Uh, one being, um, bring more physicians on to my team, um, mm-hmm. to help, to help manage cases. Um, so, you know, if I have, uh, you know, a surgeon on the team, like a general surgeon on the team, mm-hmm. a, 
you know, ED physician on the team, a family practice physician on the team. So when cases with those specialties come in, I can provide even a higher level of service for the clients. Um, that's, that's one option, which I think is probably going to be the best simply because it will allow physicians to continue to do their clinical work, but make some money on the side, um, mm-hmm. and do something that's, do something that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the other opportunity, uh, which I'm still exploring is to teach others what I'm doing so that they can, um, go out and do it on their own, uh, independently. Um, the issue with this, and as you know, you have to, you have to market and advertise yourself every day, right? Yes. So the, the work is not hard. I, I love reviewing charts. I love speaking with the attorneys. I, I love doing the research and I love that part of it. That part's easy because I know it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but owning a solo business where you're the consultant, where you're the marketer, where you're the, mm-hmm. you know, everything the tech in guy, you're the CFO, <laughs> you're, you're whatever it is, you're it, right? Yeah. Um, that, that's a lot, that's a lot of work. So mm-hmm. the barrier to entry for this, for this particular field is not so much the work itself. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, within a couple of months, you can learn the legalese, you can learn, you know, all the factors that, um, uh, or all the criteria that are necessary to, to be malpractice and how everything fits in. It doesn't take too long to learn that part, right? Um, the barrier to entry is, is marketing and getting in front of a, mm-hmm. getting in front of attorneys, sharing what you do, mm-hmm. um, networking that that's your, that's your barrier to entry. And so someone working full-time clinically will have a really difficult time doing that. Um, doing that effectively as i'm sure as i'm sure you know you work full-time clinically and i mean i don't know i don't know when you sleep with everything you do (laughs) (laughs) no but i but as you mentioned that is um the part of being a solo practitioner that one has to think about you know you are the marketing team and marketing is really telling others what you do right i think one of my um my coach said that when you start to get bored of your message, that means that you just started <laughs> because now, <laughs> there's, now they're probably just heard it. So it's really yeah. time for you to amp it up. So you have to tell everyone near and far, far and wide what it is that you do. So the marketing part is is part of it. Now, there's an, also an aspect to this your story that we talked about. Um, we touched on it a little bit, which is about the burnout portion. Now, um, a lot of those who are listening um, have uh, really had some experience with burnout. Some people are in it and trying to figure out, is this it? I don't know. Is this it? But how would you say, how did burnout look like for you when you were in that valley? What did it look like? Like, you know, how is it that now you can look back and say, oh, that's what that was? Yeah. I mean, I went through different stages of it. But I mean, I would say probably, and like I said, I, I hate the term burnout. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I just, I just do, I do. And I know it's, you have to use it because it's what everyone understands, you know, but, yes. but for me, for me, it, it implies this like finite amount of fuel that we have as physicians. And like when it's gone, you're burned out and you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's not true. Right. I mean, we, right. you can always, you can always refill, right. There's, there's always a way to put the fuel back in. Yes. Um, and, and drive somewhere else. Right. Um, but, but for me, uh, it was, it was two things. Um, one was, was sort of physical and, and health, uh, wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you find yourself instead of maybe having, you know, one cocktail with dinner, you know, you find yourself maybe having two or three that night for no particular reason. And it's like a mm-hmm. Tuesday. Um, or, you know, or, uh, you had your coffee in the morning and then you had your energy drink at noon and then you had your, you know, iced tea in the afternoon. And, and then you look back and realize, no, I haven't been to the gym in you know, three weeks and why, why haven't I like, and I just, I don't care, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so there was, there was the physical aspect. Um, and then there was the, uh, sort of mental, mental and emotional aspect where you, you realize you're being you're being short with your spouse or you're being short with your kids or mm-hmm. you know your kids have something that they're super excited to show you and you just you just don't care right you're mm-hmm. like okay yeah great yeah awesome yeah. or you know yeah, that oh, I, have to go to an- I have to go to another play tonight Ugh, you know and yeah. and i and 
and I realized that's just, it's not me, right? You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's not who, that's not who I am. Um, and so that, I don't even know how to say it. I guess that came and went, right? That came and went and it comes and goes with all of us. And I think that's how we, I think that's how we lie to ourselves sometimes too, because we'll have a few good weeks and be like, Oh, I got this kicked, right? Great. Everything's good. And then it might not take anything to just kind of flip you back and have you hate in life again, you know, and it might just be, you know, might be one day and then you're right back. And then three weeks later, like, Oh, things are good. I've had a vacation. Everything's fine. Um, and so it's a real, you know, sinusoidal mm-hmm. wave, ebb and flow sort of thing. Um, but they, you just trick yourself enough that you can just one more, one more day, one more week, or, you know, let me get to that next paycheck or, oh, you know, they said this is going to be better at work or, you know, whatever it is. But I um, like that point that you're making because a lot of times, um, we talk about, and I think you're probably one of my first guests that's answered the question in this way. Um, and we all talk about ebbs and flow, but when you talk about how you trick yourself because you're feeling a certain way and then you have a a day that's good and you're like, oh yeah, everything's great. But as you said, it takes something very subtle, not even something big to flip you back into that phase. So that's how you know you're not, you haven't truly emerged from it. It was just like that one good day, that ebb and flow. But if you were to to pull that graph out overall, right? It's we're like we're below the red line. (laughs) We're not really (laughs) in the black. (laughs) But that one day here and there might make you feel as if things are going, but but overall you're just not feeling your at your best. And like you said, certain things you're not having the energy um, and the enthusiasm for it. And uh, I think that that was that's a great way to really describe it, because some people might get into that one or two days and like, oh, well, maybe this isn't burnout or this isn't moral injury or this isn't all the other terms that we use. But when you said if you really were to to do a bird's eye view or to zoom out on it, like, well, what are we talking about the majority of the time? How are you feeling the majority of the time? Not that one to two days yep. <laughs> that you had that spike. <laughs> right. So that, that that's a great and interesting way of describing it for um, those who are in that thing. All righty. So now I have my fun question of the day. Okay. I really sit and think about it for you. Alrighty. <laughs> so if you aren't a doctor, um, weren't doing the medical legal, uh, if you weren't jungle gym and you were, <laughs> and, uh, uh, let me see, we, we didn't really talk. Okay. So yeah, you weren't doing any of those. What would you do? And what would you be? Oh man. So if, if you had asked me that, you know, if you, if in college said, Hey, you can't be, you can't be a doctor, you need to be something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I, I'm almost certainly I would have, have gone into engineering, um, uh-huh. or cause I, I love, I love math and I love, I love physical science. And, and I, I think I definitely would have been some variety of an engineer, um, right. just cause I love building and tinkering. That's tinkering what I was thinking. Things. Yes. Yeah. I, I absolutely. Love Are you building, the kid that pulled the clock apart in the house and the mom's looking like, and you're like, I can put it back together, Ma. Yeah, a little bit. My son is for sure. My my son is. <laughs> you buy you buy him the Lego set, and he puts it together and looks at it. And about five minutes later, he's like, no, and rips it apart and builds something else. So so I think it's in the blood. I, it's I in the blood. Yeah, it's in the Willis yeah. blood. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I probably I probably back then I I would have said uh, I would have said uh, an engineer. An, an engineer for sure. Um, now. Honestly, I would probably, uh, you know, if you said, hey, you can't do any of this stuff at all. Yes. Um, it would probably involve something um, to do with uh, like uh, land management and land real estate and recreational land and real estate. Because I'm a big, uh-huh. uh, I spend a lot of time outdoors, a lot of time hiking, a lot of time mm-hmm. uh hunting, uh, like mm-hmm. white-tailed deer in Turkey. Um, I have a small property that I, you know, manage for white-tailed deer in Turkey, uh, for the mm-hmm. family. 
Um, and so I would probably do something in that industry just because I absolutely love being out, being outside. I thought um, you would say, I'm looking at the the instrument behind you. I thought you'd be playing. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that's my banjo. Yeah. I, I banjo. Banjo. Yeah. I started playing banjo about four or five years ago. So I'm kind of addicted to that too. So. <laughs> Um, but and, then and that's how you the property, so. and now, now I'm seeing I'm seeing the hat, I'm seeing the property. Yeah, <laughs> you're seeing me on the porch. I see you on the porch. Oh, <laughs> just really enjoying life. <laughs> yeah, I know you would you wouldn't you wouldn't think it you wouldn't think it, but uh, I'm a I'm a country boy at heart. It's just uh, I, I can't I help it. it. <laughs> I love it, love it. Alrighty, so we have those who are listening and those who are watching, Dr. Willis, and you know we have those who now even found out like whoa this is a thing as you mentioned you know you want to yeah, spread yeah. the word to those in the medical field that there are additional things that you can do with your training you're still contributing to the clinical and medical society as a whole you're helping with patients and with um your colleagues and um you know but you're doing it from the medical legal standpoint so how can those people find you and you know oh. Yeah, even like the lawyers, those who are, you know, looking for um, someone like you to help them because they're like, this is going on on LinkedIn and people are like, oh, I didn't even know this existed. Tell them. Yeah, yeah, I get a lot, yeah, I get a lot of that. So I, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So mm -hmm. I, I post virtually every day um, on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. oftentimes just things about my cases, um, mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, ed educational. Sometimes it's uh, random things about uh, you know, no longer being a clinical physician, just, to, I, I, I only discovered social media a year or so ago. Um, but I've made a lot of really good connections and made a lot of good relationships and friends mm -hmm. and, and, and folks like, uh, you that are just amazing people. So, um, I've not, uh, tiptoed into any other social media yet. I'm not sure that I will, but, uh, mm -hmm. uh but LinkedIn is a great place to find me. So, um, just Jeff Willis MD, um, on LinkedIn, um, I'm on every day. Um, so you can uh, send me a connection request, DM, comment on something that I write, and, and I get back with everyone. I have a website that's mm -hmm. uh, ocmedlegal.com, O-C-M-E-D-L-E-G-A-L.com. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, those are the best uh, two ways uh, to find me. And you can email me at jeff at ocmedlegal.com uh, as well. I, um, and I'm happy to talk uh, with any physician that is just interested in life outside of medicine. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I benefited a lot from having a coach and having somebody help guide me through that process. Um, mm -hmm. And while I'm not a, a coach uh, yet at this point, um, I'm always happy to talk with folks about what I do, how I how I went through the process and 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 how happy I am with the decision that I made. It's not, it's not for everybody, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm only 46 years old and, and, you know, I left the bedside at 46 years old. I don't think that's for everybody, um, right. but, but I, but the options are out there and the opportunities uh, are out there. Mm -hmm. And if there's anybody that's thinking about it or is, you know, curious as to really, you know, really what went down, I'm a pretty open book and, and pretty uh, very open to sharing my process and how I did it. Um, I'm considering considering doing some coaching at some point in the future, just because I I loved being coached so much, and, and mm -hmm. think that, I, and I think I would like to help others at some point. Um, but right now, I'm just I'm too busy to do it. But um, yeah, but they can definitely call me, reach out, and I probably talked to already talked to maybe a physician a week uh, mm -hmm. about what I do, just because people find it interesting and different. So. But always happy to talk. Those are the two best ways is email Jeff at OCMedLegal.com and then on LinkedIn. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So before we go, I just want to say we had some greetings from the San Francisco Bay Area. Hello, it says LinkedIn user. So once we jump off this uh, wonderful conversation and we'll find out who that LinkedIn user is, we can say hello to that person. Okay, Dr. Willis, this has been a very enlightening conversation. You are the first that I've had that's approached it from this standpoint on my um, lovely, lovely show. I have had um, another doc who um, has talked about malpractice coaching, but from your standpoint and really having doctors being empowered to be on both sides of the medical legal 
um, avenue and arena, it's very, very, very encouraging. And also encouraging to know that not only are you there, you're helping, you're helping your patients, you're helping other physicians. And then there are also additional non-clinical options for you to use your clinical skills out there. That's right. You are not boxed in, you know, you are not boxed in. So this I thank you for jumping on and really showing and exploring that side of the non-clinical work that you're doing. All righty, before we end this wonderful conversation, do you have any last words for those doctors who are out there watching today? <laughs> That's it. Just uh, if you don't know where you are in your, in, your, in, in your journey, but you think there might be something else out there, um, whether you call me or you talk to somebody else, um, don't, don't, don't ignore the voice. Um, mm. li listen to it, listen to it and, and explore, explore what's out there a little bit. Um, mm. but because the biggest risk you have is, is being a year from now and still doing the exact same thing and one wondering if there's something else. So, nice. um, fi find somebody else or find me, but, uh, just talk to somebody. There's plenty of people out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you hear it. There are plenty of people out there. So don't sit there in your cave by yourself thinking that there are no other additional options. There are a lot of doctors and interestingly so, because I know a lot of us in medicine, especially us in emergency medicine, we're a lot of very siloed people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we work really, really, we're working with others, but we're really working by ourselves. A lot of docs are willing to talk to you. So reach absolutely. out to us reach out to us we're here alrighty so now I know someone just jumped on at the end and they're like oh my gosh you know I didn't catch all of that great conversation and I'm like have no fear this wonderful wonderful conversation is available on our your Karen docs website that's you are c-a-r-i-n-g-d-o-c-s.com select podcast look you'll see Dr. Jeff Willis's handsome face I was gonna say beautiful face if you want me to say beautiful we'll do that too <laughs> I'll be, I'll be anything. You can call me whatever you want. We'll see his handsome face there. Click download, download this episode, send it to one of your friends, send it to 10 of your friends, your colleagues who are sitting, you're sitting there having conversations, trying to figure out, oh my God, is all, is this it? Am I made for more? Can I do more? Yes, you, yes, you can. That's the answer. Yes, you can. And Dr. Jeff Willis has um, shown us an additional non-clinical avenue. If you're a doctor and you're like, I'm doing amazing things too, and I want to be highlighted, I'm like, I would love to. So send me an email at drbeckford at yourcurandocs.com to book. And do keep in mind, we are booked out a couple months in advance because of all the wonderful things our colleagues are doing inside and outside of clinical medicine. All right. Now, for those who you're watching and you're looking for a dynamic speaker on stress management and burnout prevention for your next conference, hey, do not hesitate to reach out to me. You can send me an email at drbeckford at yourcurandocs.com. And just put it there looking for a speaker or you can go to our website and fill out the form to work with me i would absolutely love to work with you on your next conference dr willis thank you so much for taking the time out to be on my show to highlight what you do and to bring forth the knowledge that there are additional things that us physicians can do in clinical medicine that are non-clinical based you well, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for everything that you're doing. It's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. All righty, guys. Thank you guys for watching and we'll catch you guys next time. Bye-bye.